Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. talking with Christy Culp. It was a joy to hear her insights on teaching while building an art career. She talked about becoming a master questioner and learning to say yes to student ideas. She shared her road to gallery representation and how she seeks opportunities and creates community connections. We dig into how she balances all the things. Hint, you have to say no to some of them. Christy Culp is a studio potter and an art educator making functional pottery. Her work is created to bring beauty and pleasure to objects of daily use. Coffee and teacups, bowls, plates, platters, and more. Christy Culp teaches high school art, but she started her career in middle school art. She is also a lifelong student and often takes workshops to continue building skills and stretching outside her comfort zone. She has so much wisdom to share. Let's hear it. Hi, so I am here with Christy Culp. Welcome. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for having me. You're picking my favorite topic, art and teaching. (laughs) I know. It's so great. So I like to start with just a little bit of background. How did you become an artist? And then how did you become a teacher? Does one come first or do they kind of go together? I would say it's a, it's a little bit of both. I always knew I was an artist because my family told me I was. Ah, that's nice. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know anything different. I was the little girl who was drawing brides and girls in big fluffy dresses from movies from the <laughs> 30s, like this black and white's gone with the wind, all of that. Yeah. So I always knew that it was something that I could do. And my mother was an artist. She still is. So anytime I needed something drawn and I didn't know how to do it, she would draw for me. And I thought everybody could draw. And I can remember a time when my aunt was at the house and she and my mother were doing something. And of course, I was, draw me a bride, draw me a bride. And I just kept bothering her and she didn't want to do it, but she finally did. And she handed me her drawing and I just looked at it like, what is this? (laughs) And then I realized, oh, everybody can't draw like my mother. Yeah. So then I realized that this was just something that not everybody had, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was just, I just remember that so profoundly, like, oh my, are you kidding me? What is this? (laughs) (laughs) My poor aunt, I won't mention her name, so she won't know which one it is. (laughs) But as far as my journey to become a teacher, when I was in elementary school, of course, I loved my art class and my art teacher had that storeroom that the supply room that no one was permitted in, Oh, you know, and we were all just trying to peek in there, like the magic markers were in there and the pencils, all the stuff was in there. And it hit me at one point, well, he gets to go in there all day long. What? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so I just thought he's got the best job in the world to do that. And it, when I moved on to high school, it, it was the same way. There was that storeroom full of all of the supplies and he had access to them. And we had to ask, you know, so I just was like, thought, I really want to do this. This is something that just seems like a natural fit for me to be here all day long making art. And I was showing my friends how to draw. So it just seemed kind of like the thing to do. Right. You were already an art teacher. I think I was a little bit, <laughs> though I was frustrated about it because I didn't quite know how to do it well. I was just showing uh-huh. them. <laughs> right. And then did you end up going to school for art education, like immediately, or did you study art first? I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania, which is a small state school in Pennsylvania, and uh-huh. they have an art education program and a fine arts program. So I went in under the teaching program. It was okay. something that I just always wanted wanted to do. And yeah. 50% of the classes are studio. So I was making with all of the other art students. Uh, nice. That's great. And did that did the um, teaching classes help you figure out how to teach? You know, there were only two teaching classes, which I look back mm. on at that. And I just think there should have been some more. <laughs> right. <laughs> there really should have been. We had and this was the late 80s, early 90s. We had Oh, I can't even think of the name of it. One was teaching elementary art and one was teaching secondary art. You know, so we would make up unit plans for things that we thought we were, were appropriate. And we had, a, you know, our professor would kind of lead us through that. We were mm-hmm. reading discipline-based art education at the time right. was the move. So we were just focusing on technique and, you know, how to critique that and everything in sequence and order. But there wasn't a lot of hands-on experience. Like we didn't have mm-hmm. access to kids as in pre-student teaching. They We took those classes, took a school law class, and then boom, into student teaching you went. Right. Yeah. Like, good luck. Yeah. Here's your papers. Now go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, and how how was that? Did that do you feel like your teaching style has changed a lot from that? Do you still kind of follow that structure and discipline based art ed? I did for a long time. Um, I started teaching. Oh, I started teaching in middle school, which is just trial by fire. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. To all the middle school teachers out there. It takes a special person to be with that kind of energy level. Uh It was good because with that age group, you really do have to keep them structured and organized just to kind of keep them from bouncing off the ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) At least my kids were. I I can't say that I did it gracefully. (laughs) You know, I I learned a lot those first few years. And then I I did elementary. Mm -hmm. And now I've been teaching high school for 22 years. And that's where things really changed because I went into it with this is the expectation I want and this is the expectation I'm going to get. And for the most part, Mm -hmm. it worked. But I found that there were kids that just weren't expressing themselves or growing enough. So I just started asking them, what if you did this? Or if a student came to me and had an idea that was just a little more outside of the box than I was comfortable with, I would recognize like, oh, I'm not comfortable with this, but why? Like, what's wrong with this? 
And I would mm-hmm. just say to the kid, okay, please go try that. And it was okay. And it was so much better than what the outcome was that I wanted. And I realized that I needed to give the kids more space to have, mm-hmm. I mean, it's art. It's supposed, we're supposed yeah. to give them space. <laughs> yeah. And that was the one thing that I don't remember getting in college. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe there was a discussion about it. I don't know. You know, there was never talk about flexibility. There was just talk about outcomes. Right. You know, and, and that's just something that, as any teacher who's trying to figure out how they want their classroom to be and how they want their artists to be, you know, you just kind of have to find that spot. Yeah, like the balance, almost balance between those things, that flexibility, but also outcome and, you know. Yeah, and the outcomes were still there. Mm-hmm. I just found that I was suddenly aware of limiting them mm-hmm. and thought, oh, I'm not serving anybody with this. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, and then I feel like then there's also this there's a there's different types of outcomes, right? There's like the actual product that they produce, the artwork, but then their thinking is another outcome and their like growth in terms of their behaviors and what they're actually learning, what they're internalizing that isn't so visible. Right. Right. Did they learn to take a risk? Yeah. And how do you show that? Right. Right. And how do you encourage it even when it isn't so great Uh to just validate, okay, you tried it. Do you want to continue with this or do you want to go back and try the other way kind of thing? Because I think that's more important to young kids now is you've got to be willing to stress. Uh-huh. and assess, you know, was it good? Was it not good? Which is the better outcome? And then be comfortable with whichever the choice is that you make. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to shift towards more choice and I'm at the elementary level now, so it's different. But yeah, giving them a lot of freedom and trying to encourage higher level thinking. But, mm-hmm. And it's hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. It takes a lot of letting go, which is, is hard too for me. I think it's hard for any teacher because there's this illusion that we're in control. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And if the students ever figure out that we're not, I don't know. (laughs) Don't listen to this podcast, students. Yeah, well, I have a group of senior girls that are just dying. They're like, we can't wait to listen to it. Like, okay, all right, we'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so sweet. But I mean, there there is. I mean, we have we have the ability to orchestrate these things going on in our classroom. Mm-hmm. When really, it's like, what is it? A whisper and a prayer. <laughs> Send it out there. <laughs> Yeah. You write the things on the board and you're like, okay, this is what's going to, this is what could, could happen. And if you, you know, if you've listened and you're kind of thinking about what it is you want it to look like, we're just heading that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you said that you started out when you first started high school, you were teaching solely three-dimensional. Yes. It was so wonderful. (laughs) And now it's shifted. It has shifted. So you prefer, you would want to go back to just focusing on 3D. I would love that's your art form. It, it is. Mostly I just want to manage right. one classroom instead oh of managing two because I, I have to manage two two oh. spaces and, and it's it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. When when they made that changeover, it was so wonderful. Like, oh, I can teach sculpture and clay all day mm-hmm. long. Like this is this is wonderful because that is my yeah. wheelhouse. And when we when we switched over and he retired, the students that were his that I inherited and had to teach, I think it was like two weeks in, I heard one of them just saying, well, can you even draw? Uh. <laughs> 
And I had to sit down and, and explain, well, when you go to art school, you have to do all of the studios. So yes, I can draw. You just haven't seen me right. draw. So let's sit down yeah. and draw. <laughs> you know? But I had I had to earn their trust because they'd lost their teacher. Yeah. You know, who was who they had all the trust in the world in. And then, you know, if, if they weren't three-dimensional students, you know, I had to prove to them that I could paint and I could draw. And then all of a sudden they realized, oh, okay, we have to trust her now with all of our feelings and our ideas and risk-taking. But once they did, it was it was so wonderful. And, I, and then I remembered, oh, I can draw too. Yeah. <laughs> so did that then change your own art making in, in any way? Did you like start drawing more or? I always did draw. When I was in high school, we didn't really have clay and sculpture. It was all drawing and painting. So when I went into college, it was, I was stronger mm-hmm. on that end. But as soon as I started taking the sculpture and pottery classes, you couldn't yeah. get me out of there. You found your thing. I found my thing and I didn't even know, I didn't even know that it was there. So I share that story with my students a lot because a lot of them are hesitant to cross back mm-hmm. and forth. I'm like, I didn't touch clay until I got to college. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also, like, I know you mentioned earlier to me how you, your ceramics, the way that you decorate them is almost more painterly as well. Like you're thinking of being a painter on on the ceramic sculptures. It, it is. It's very decorative. I do enjoy painting mm-hmm. and drawing. And I sometimes I forget when I sit down to paint with my painting students, I find myself very happy. Yeah. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just a potter. Like I can paint pictures too. Right. You know, because as an art, as an art teacher, I don't know about you, but I never am able to finish an example yeah. for my students because we're so busy helping the students that nothing right. ever gets done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they don't, they don't necessarily get to see those right. finished things. Yeah. I actually try not to. And I think it's probably also different with elementary that when I do something that's, that's finished, it's hard for me to, to finish it to a level that's not sort of intimidating. Yes. Like if they see this finished piece, they want to make theirs just like it and they can get so discouraged if it doesn't turn out just like it, even though it's like a gorgeous piece of art. Yes. And it's it's at their level and it's so hard for them to accept their level. Right. It is. Yeah. So I, I like almost never. Yeah. They're still like that in high school too. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm like that sometimes when I see other artists that I admire, like, why can't I just <laughs> make, make something like that? Yeah. Why can't I just look at it and figure it out in yeah. two minutes? <laughs> and just whip it out. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, this person spent a good deal of time maybe figuring out the technique, like maybe this piece took them a few minutes, but they've probably done hundreds that are similar, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I know when I take workshops over the summer, sometimes I'll take one that just, I always think I have to take one that I've never done before. And I, I don't go too far out, but when I'm learning something new, it just reminds me of how hard it is to learn something mm-hmm. new. And I just think, oh, my poor students, I make them do this at least once yeah. a week. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I love that idea too, that you wrote to me about having these expectations of our students and that we should have almost the same, the same expectations of ourselves. Like if we're asking our students, to go through all of this, then why can't we also? Yes, absolutely. If we expect them to learn something every day, mm-hmm. you know, and, and follow through with it, that there's no reason why we can't expect the same of us, you know, to be those lifelong learners. 
you know, even if it's teaching yourself how to knit yeah. or going and you know, just learn something new so your brain can be refreshed. Yeah. Yeah. And like this idea of creating something that, that you haven't done before. That's hard. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to think of, I went to Penland, which mm-hmm. is in North Carolina, and it's a, it's a beautiful arts campus where yeah. they have all kinds of opportunities for teachers for different times and residencies and things like that. And I could have taken a pottery class and I, and I didn't, I took the sculpture class, but they were in the same building. And I found myself just wandering upstairs to see what the potters were doing. And I, I had these conversations with myself, like, you are not allowed up there. You need, you are down here to make yeah, sculpture, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was exactly like, why are you here? You're here to make sculpture. And it, it was hard. And there was a big learning curve. And I found a couple other things that I had never done before, just sculptural forms that I focused on those to where I knew that I could learn something and have some success with it because I didn't feel that I was being successful at the the larger piece that I was working on. But I thought, you've got yeah. two weeks. What yeah. are you going to do? You know, so you're going to you're going to learn the hard lesson with the big sculpture and then you're going to have these other things that you're still gaining things from the instructor and all of the artists that are there you know, so like, how can we grab as much as we can before we get out of here? (laughs) And I took, I take a class at another art center, it's closer by, and it's, it's a week long. And I made myself take instead of a a pottery class that was about surface decoration, I made myself take a class that was just about form. So I could not depend on all of the pretty decorations that I put on my pieces. Yeah. So and I, I, it was like the challenge for me to do and, and my friends were just sitting around kind of watching like she's going to decorate something, isn't she? I'm like, mm, I can't, I can't. And it, it really was a struggle to force myself to make new forms. And also the struggle was, oh, these are, these aren't what it's in my mind. These are awkward. They're big, they're clunky. But at the same time, I could look at the teacher and say, could you please help me with these? Right. Because I just don't know where I need to change this because I think she understood what I was going for, you know, and she was able to, able to walk me through it. And the people in the class were able to walk me through it. And I came back from the class and, and I did make a few more things that didn't have any decoration on them. But it took me about three years of just working, making, making my series of coffee mugs and bowls and things like that before I finally, what I learned at that class, all of a sudden it just clicked. Mm -hmm. And I, and then I started incorporating the things that I learned into the, a new line of work, but it was a long time. Yeah. You know, it just didn't happen that summer. Like I really had to, I call it percolating. Like I just had to percolate on that. And every once in a while, like try this shape, Mm -hmm. you know? So I would try that. She's like, nah, not this week. You know, kind of thing. You know that one's going to go back in the reclaim bucket, yeah. and it's just going to stay there. You know? Oh, I love it. Oh. Yeah, I mean, we can't we can't stop learning. Yeah, and I feel like those experiences just it's so valuable to get out and continue learning, continue practicing new art forms. Do you feel like are you still trying to incorporate that, or are you kind of back to your old way of making, or do you kind of like go back and? I've I've actually combined them together. So I found a way to have a complicated form Uh and find places to put the decorations on them. So I was able to put them together. And, 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 you know, there there were some awkward ones (laughs) in there, but I always, like I tell my kids and I tell other potters that I talk with, no one knows that beautiful thing you had in your right, head. Right, exactly. You know? 
they just see the beautiful thing that's in front of yeah. them. They don't know what our, ex- our personal expectations are. We can feel down about it, but put it out there to the world and get some feedback about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say, I tell kids the same thing. Like they, nobody knows what your draft looked like. Nobody knows what you wanted it to look like. They only know what it ended up looking like. And it's pretty awesome. Or maybe it's not. And then you can, you can decide like, maybe I don't want to keep this. That's okay too. Yes. I, I love saying to a student, would you feel much better if you just ripped that up? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it frees them from whatever they're feeling about it. Because I think sometimes they're afraid to start over because it seems like so much work. And then there's that piece they don't like just staring at them. Like, you know what? Just throw it away. Yeah. Let's just start over. Clean sheet of paper. And you can see like their shoulders, like they're not slumping anymore. Like, okay, good. Thank you for letting me do that. (laughs) Yeah. It's sometimes hard for me as an artist, but also a teacher with a limited budget. (laughs) It's like, oh, I don't want to waste materials. Yeah. And the time. I mean, I end up just like yeah, the, the limited time is like yeah. that's me I end up just painting over things if I don't like them like <laughs> I'm not gonna throw out this canvas I'll just put another layer on it well yeah yes and I, yeah if you're painting you absolutely paint right yeah. back over them like you'd see that can of yeah. white <laughs> or black whatever yeah. makes you feel yeah. better <laughs> and there's there's no shame in that and that that's like part of the process it it is because I think because they see so many perfect examples mm-hmm. and we see so many perfect perfect examples that we don't want to allow ourselves to make the mistake. You know, we really, it goes back to that. Why can't I do it right on the first time? Because you can't. Yeah. You just can't. (laughs) You have to practice practice it. Yeah. Yeah. I try to, sometimes I relate it to sports. You know, the first time you threw a ball or something, it probably didn't go as far as you wanted or as straight as you wanted. You have to practice. Same thing with drawing or, you know, anything with art, you have to practice. Yeah. It is a skill and they forget because so many once they meet one other person who's air quotes, they're talented, you know, they have that innate talent. They don't realize that that person is still practicing right. and they're still drawing over and over and over again. And they're perfecting that cat mm-hmm. or they're perfecting that figure drawing. They just, there's so much practice that goes into it. So I, I tell them it's a skill. Yeah. You can learn this. Yeah. Just put the time in. <laughs> right. Shifting gears a little bit, I mean, we've talked about your work a bit. Could you describe your work for someone who hasn't seen it? I use, it's a low-fire earthenware that looks like terracotta clay. Mm. So it's this bright orange. And I decorate with um, white slip over top of it and then so that I can carve through it. So when I carve through it, I get this beautiful orange line. So essentially, I'm drawing but while the clay is still, it's it's called leather hard, and uh-huh. I'm hoping that everybody listening knows all their stages of clay. My <laughs> students do. Yeah. <laughs> so I have I make my forms. I cover them with the white slip, mm-hmm. and then I will paint on underglaze of blackberries and bees. Yeah. And then once it sets up to like chocolate, like Hershey chocolate chocolate stage, yeah. the leather hard stage, then I take a scribe and I just draw and outline everything, and it feels mm-hmm. really good. Like it's that satisfying carving through soft surface with the outlines 
So they're very feminine pieces. They're teacups with pretty little handles on them, teapots, and a lot of serving platters because I love having that surface. So they remind me of like old tea towels from the 40s with lots of fruit on them, you know, and vibrant colors. Yeah. And like a lot of my customers have said, oh, your pieces just make me so happy. Like, oh, that's the best thing you could say. That's great. Thinking about that carving, it made me think, have you done any printmaking? I did in college. And a few summers ago, some Potter friends and I got together and we did our own little mini workshop of printing with slip and underglaze. Wow. Yeah. So you can paint underglaze onto newsprint. Mm -hmm. And then when it gets to be like not tacky anymore, you can flip it over and put it onto a sheet of clay and rub it on and then peel the newspaper off. And whatever your image was is now printed onto the clay. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. So that that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So with your work, I know you sell and show your work and now you have gallery representation, right? Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. Do you want to talk about how you got there and what, you know, what was your path to getting any of those opportunities? Yeah, it's, I like to sell local and I like to Uh do uh, craft shows that are just all within, within an hour of my house. So I do four shows a year. I have a, there's a local store that they sell soups and beautiful breads and home goods. So they have, they have pottery and they have some jewelry and things like that. So it's this great little shop. So all of the, my local customers, I send them there, like okay. go there, buy some bread, buy a mug yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So I have that kind of local support around me and I've always done home sales. Mm-hmm. So I will set up tables in my yard. So it looks like a garden party and people can come in and buy. And I do, we do a local potters tour. So there are eight studios and we send out a map and you can come run. You just drive around to all the studios and every studio has three to four potters there. So this is where I'm picking up my client base is working Mm -hmm. with a lot of other people to do this. So that's, I really like that because I I like talking to my clients and my clients like to talk to me and it just, it makes a nice relationship that I know where my pieces live. You know, and what they're using them for. Because Uh, all of the pieces I make, I want people to use them. And I know uh some people feel like they're too precious. So I had to let go of that. Like, okay, whatever you do with my pieces at your house (laughs) is none of my business. So if it stays in the china cabinet for the next 30 years, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather you drink coffee from it, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how I do my local things. But I also apply to online shows. So a lot of galleries and clay groups will have juried shows where you upload your images and then a jury will pick what pieces they want mm-hmm. in that. And that's how I got, get exposure outside of my community. Yeah. And how has that been? Um, are you applying to shows with fees and sort of how do you figure that out? Yeah, there are, there are, there are fees. They're anywhere between 20 and $30 to apply and whichever show it is, they'll decide how many pieces that they want you to, to submit. So some shows will just let you submit two pieces. Some will let you submit five. Right. Some shows want, they specifically want five pieces or they specifically want three. So, you know, I'm, I'm reading the prospectus and thinking, does this fit for me? Right. Do I have the work? Do I have yeah. time to make the work <laughs> kind of thing? And after working, I, I applied to mm-hmm. the gallery that represents me right now, Charlie Cummings Gallery. 
I applied to their cup show. So they do this show that it's a thousand cups. Wow. If you can imagine wow. managing 1000 pieces wow. and it's actually more than that. Now I applied and was juried in a few years in a row. And then after like that show specifically, they have that show because they're a gallery and they are pushing to sell the work. Right. So it's not just a, like an art center where they're doing an exhibit to share with the, with their community. Yeah. Here's, you know, here are clay artists kind of thing. Yeah. The gallery specifically wants to sell. So uh-huh. they're watching whose pieces sell. So if, if they're finding that there's a good market for pieces, they're inviting artists back to be represented by them. Ah, uh, yeah. So they, yeah, they asked me to, to send, to be part of a smaller show where I think I sent five pieces. And then the next, then they asked me to be, they're exhibiting artists for January. So I had to send 40 pieces and that was terrifying. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. Pottery is, pottery is heavy and it breaks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. And I had to send them from Pennsylvania to Florida. Wow. So oh. that, oh, it was so stressful. My poor husband. Oh. oh my gosh. I think, I think he just wanted to put me away. He's yeah. like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yes, we're doing this because this is what I like. It's wonderful. It's such a great opportunity to yeah. do. And the galleries, they're so wonderful to work with. Like I, I called and I said, you know, I really need you to talk me through how do I get all these pieces to you yeah. and not have any breakage. Right. And she was wonderful. She talked me through it and I shipped oh, it all and nothing great. broke. It was oh. so wonderful. Yeah. I would have been a nervous wreck too. I, I think my husband is scarred for life. <laughs> He's like, don't do it again. He said, well, no, he, oh, he is so supportive. He says, I want you to do this again, but next year you're not shipping them to Florida. I'm driving them down myself. Uh, wow. <laughs> he just wants to go to Florida, so it's okay. Yeah, have a vacation, get warm. Yeah, he doesn't mind the drive. It's fine, you yeah. know, 20 hours, not a problem. Oh, I grew up in Montana where that really is like, oh, you know, 20 hours, it's nothing. Yeah, to get groceries. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what part of Montana? Uh, I was in Helena and Missoula. Yeah. Yes. That's the only place in, in Montana that I've been. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love I love Missoula. It's great. Yeah. Have you been to the Archie Bray? Yes. A long, long time ago. My uh, yeah. high school art teacher used to do some pottery with them. Wonderful. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, it's such a great place. Such a great yeah. place. I, I, did, like, I drove through one day and we stopped. And the very first mug I ever purchased as a collection, I purchased there and I still have it. And I love that little cup. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that one that then, is that going to sit in your china cabinet or do you use it? <laughs> oh, I use it. Actually, I Yay. used it. Um, I used it last week. Cause, and I, I'm a firm believer that if I'm going to expect the world to purchase and love my pieces, I need to do the same. Yeah. So I have a considerable collection of coffee mugs and bowls and plates. I, I made my husband build open shelving in our kitchen so I could see it all. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a, he was game for it I was, because we were remodeling the kitchen and we were talking about refinishing the cabinets and it just sounded so tedious. And I said, how about three sets of three shelves hanging? And he, he has an engineering mind. So he 
just went for it. And he's like, oh. this is so much easier. That's <laughs> good. Great. I yeah. can see my pots and you don't have to slave over cabinets. <laughs> yeah. Makes it so much easier. Yeah. Nice. Thinking again about how, like, I, th- I feel like it's great that you just applying to the juried show sort of led to that opportunity with the gallery. I wanted to ask as a resource for any artists or teachers that are listening, what were there any really good resources that helped you out along the way? The clay world is known for sharing and supporting each other. So there are two publications, Pottery Making Illustrated and Ceramics Monthly. And if you go online or just Google it, or if you have issues that are there, there are so many resources in those publications that talk about how to apply for a show, how to photograph your work, how to ship your work, how to approach a gallery. You know, they're holding people's hands and really coaching them through it. So I know that those things are out there. I'm not sure. I think that I remember reading some craft magazines for jewelers that I, Uh they, I remember reading articles about how to photograph, you know, how do you photograph silver? All it does yeah. is reflect light back at you, oh. you know, and then you see yourself in, in that piece. You're like, right. there I am with the camera. You know? <laughs> it's like an MC Escher, really small. Oh. Yeah. So the resources are out there. Mm-hmm. Also, too, I am part of the Craftsman's Guild of Pittsburgh, and their goal is to help help artisans sell their work, promote their work, become better. Um, They have a fantastic craft show in the fall that it's been going on. I think this was the last summer was their 50th year. Mm -hmm. So the people that are members of that, you know, you can pair up with somebody as a mentor. Oh, that's great. And they can kind of help you through things. Or you can call anybody and say, who's your printer? Who does your business cards? Or who's your lawyer? I need somebody to read this contract for me. Yeah, There's always a good uh, photographer resource. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all, we're constantly, sharing and sometimes like I need to borrow your tent for this show can I borrow it oh, you know, kind of thing yeah, that's great that's such a good community to have that local it, it is it's one of the biggest supports and one of the biggest reasons that I've been able to continue working because somebody was always there when I was just having a really hard time mm-hmm. with whatever it was I could call and you know if they would be there to pick me up or say oh no 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 try this you know it's gonna be okay yeah. you know my kill melted down okay well let's talk about how to clean your shelves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and how have you managed to sort of juggle all of this, all of the art making, sending off 40 pieces while also teaching? How are you making it work? Planning ahead and planning far, far ahead. Yeah. What I do is I start with the deadline and yeah. I work backwards. Very smart. So when's the very last day? Yeah. When's the last day I can ship those and they still get right. there on time? <laughs> so I, when I knew that I had to make 40 pieces, I had to think, like, how long is this going to take me? And actually, it was so sweet. My husband was like, we were talking about, he says, you can do this. He says, you just need to start six months in advance, which I've never worked that far in advance for anything. And when he put it like that, I thought, you know, he's right. So if I make five or 10 extra pieces a month, six months ahead, then I will have them ready and they'll be done in time to take a week to pack them. And then, you know, if something tragic (laughs) happens, you know, there's still time to fix in there. So it was a matter of really planning that. But as far as like teaching, because I'm teaching classes that I've been teaching for a long time. Right now, I don't very often bring work home. Yeah, that's nice. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not doing a lot of the lesson planning and things like that. I also go into work an hour early because I'm just better Uh in the morning. Like 15 years ago, I became a morning person. (laughs) Like, whoa. (laughs) 
because I stopped being a yeah. night person. Is <laughs> what happened. So I go in early in the morning and I get like the PowerPoints mm-hmm. ready and I get, you know, I get my classes ready so that I'm not necessarily panicking, <laughs> but there's always panic like, oh, I forgot about period yeah. four. Uh, okay. Everybody sit while I try and figure out what it is you're oh. doing today. Or I'll just, or I'll just say to them, okay, whatever you were doing yesterday, right. just continue. <laughs> and I'll be with you in five minutes <laughs> kind of thing. So because I, I call that a luxury because it really is a luxury to not have to be planning all the time when I get home or staying after right. school. So once my school day is over, I come home and you know I walk my dogs and I think, okay, so how much time do I have tonight? Do I have an hour before dinner or am I going to give it two hours after dinner? Or am I doing dinner at yeah. all tonight? Like, where is the yeah. husband? What are you doing? It's this constant flow. Like that's most of our conversations are, what is, what is our evening going to be? And what are you doing? And what am I doing? And where are we meeting yeah. in the middle kind of thing? And it, and it flows. And some days it's like, oh, I got 30 minutes or some days I don't have any, you know, but during the week, I don't get as much done as the weekend, but I also don't have small children, right? you know, because my son, my son is 25, but when he was little, I was not making the work that I was making now. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can't, it's just, you know, it's not possible, but the community that I lived in, he could go to his Mm -hmm. grandmother's because he was an only child. I was always bringing over a friend and I called it import a friend. (laughs) So the friend would come over and like, okay, so I've got them fed. They have games. They have things to do. And I was just in my studio that was in the basement. And, you know, every once in a while I go up and check on them, you know, you know, and I would get, I would work in like 45 minutes at a time and go check on them and that kind of thing. Because he was like nine or 10 at that time. So he was good. Yeah. (laughs) Or my son's best friend, like we would swap weekends with the other mom. Oh, nice. So I would take the boys Friday and Saturday and Sunday morning. And then the next weekend, you know, he, we would go back and forth and it would leave me some time too. And that didn't happen a lot, boy, when it did. Yeah, that's huge. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and his, his dad at the time, he was good too, because, you know, they would go out and they would ride tractors and they would work on cars and even when he was yeah. little kind of thing. So it was nice to have a partner who could do that and what and was supportive yeah. of it, you know, and, and that's part of that success is finding those people that can be your team. Yeah. You know, if you can say, hey, you know, I just need an hour. Can you, can you watch them for a little bit yeah. kind of thing? And sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't, you know, yeah. the hardest part is just letting go of those expectations expectations like, oh, I really wanted to do that tonight. And you can't, sometimes you just can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, for me, it's been, it's been a bit of letting go of my like artistic expectations, but also a little bit of letting go of my high expectations of myself as a mom and as a teacher, like, you know, letting it be not quite perfect. Or, you know, put on, yes. turn on Daniel Tiger for an hour and let her watch TV while I create yes. <laughs> and like feeling okay about that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're in the same room with them, it counts. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it's so hard to let yourself make, like give yourself that mm-hmm. permission to make, you know, and allow your, your children to experience something else while you're doing that or see you working. Yeah. You know, and I'm a firm believer that our kids need to see us in these joyous moments and these hard moments that we are their moms, but we're still 
like we're your, we're the artist yeah. mom. We're the, like some kids' moms are doctors and some kids' moms are nurses. And that's a, that's a very integral part of their identity. And this is what's part of our identity is that, yeah. you know, so allowing them to see that. And sometimes that means that they're going to grandma's house while you're doing this. And, and that's okay. Cause then they get grandma time, which is just as important, you know, to have those other experiences. You know, sometimes I think that like there's that, that book, it takes a community to, mm-hmm. to raise a child. Like it also takes a community for an artist yeah. to be an artist. <laughs> you know? It takes so much. And I know you talked about how your mom was an artist. Was she trying to, you know, show her work or sell her work? Or was it really just her kind of her thing? Like, did you see her really in that role, like professionally? No, she she wasn't like she would draw and she she in the way she lived, mm-hmm. she was an artist, but she actually, you know, roles were different then. Yeah. So she like we grew mm-hmm. up on a farm. So she helped with the farm. And then she went to work because she needed to, you know, we all needed to pay the bills kind right. of thing. So she she never really had the time to do that. She went back to college when she was in her 40s and got her degree and took some art classes then. But just in the last five years, she's started, she's a pastel Ooh. artist now and she's taking classes and she's doing shows. Yeah. And it's so wonderful that she now has that time to do it and the freedom to do it. And she's yeah. letting herself do it. And it's, it's, I love it. Like she'll send me pictures. She's like, I need you to help oh, me with this. That's awesome. <laughs> and we'll talk through it. That's so great. Oh, do you have any tips for artists who are trying to get into teaching? So almost like the flip side of teachers making time for their art, artists who are who are kind of doing the art thing, but like want to teach. Oh, I would say hit up all the community mm-hmm. art centers that you can because that's where the space is yeah. and usually where the people are. Yeah. I'm part of an arts center that I, I'm on the board and we are constantly looking for artists to come in ah. to teach. Yeah. You know, and, and in those kinds of spaces, you can develop your own programs. You know, you can do, you could, whatever your specialty is, you can offer right. that out and, you know, they, hopefully they can find a group of people to come in. Like, I always find that to be a really great resource. And then talking with the teachers that are already mm-hmm. in public schools to see if there's an availability where they can come in and work with groups of students is always really nice as well. You know, I, I like it when, when artists come in because then, you know, the students get to meet a real live artist you know, and interact. Yeah, and that reminds me that you had mentioned you did sort of like a, a residency in a middle school in your district, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was really fun. And I had a a lot of support from some organizations that mm-hmm. had grant money. So they were able to pay for like a substitute and do that. Oh, nice. But it was really fun. Like I just wanted to experience being an artist in residence so that I could make while the kids were around making and I didn't have to teach them. But I did take a specific group of students and work with them on a project that we left to the school. So we were looking into the coal mining history mm-hmm. of our community. And we looked up the names of the coal mines and some of the people that were integral to that. And we looked at pictures of specific buildings. And then I made these great big platters and the kids all picked out the imagery that went on them. So that specific group did all the imagery on it. And those are all in the library right now. And then I worked with one group of kids and we did story mugs. So we they slab built mugs and then they had to pick oh. the story of their families and they did the same thing. They put imagery and we put little stamps and things on them and 
it was really a fun project. And that I think those kids were in sixth grade, yeah. fifth or sixth grade. So when they came up to the high school, it was so nice to see them again, only they were all two feet taller. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. whoa, oh, you really grew. That's great. That's, that must be really nice for them too, to kind of have that, like it comes full, full circle and they're like, wait a second, I know you. Yeah. They, they're like, I still, oh. yeah, I still have my mug. Yeah. So as far as like artists in the community, I think reaching out to where the mm-hmm. the students are yeah. you know, can can get you into those kinds of experiences. And I think most communities have something. Even if you went to a church or the Girl Scouts, the Girl Scouts are they're so funny. They have all these badges they have to get. Yeah. So like they have a painting badge and they have a clay badge. So oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So reaching out to Girl Scout troops, you know, gives you the opportunity to teach with with little students like that, you know, and it's so refreshing to work with groups like that, you know, and that's if they're looking to build a resume for where they're teaching, that's a great place to start. Yeah, just kind of reaching out to those places in the community. Yeah, yeah. And I know you also organized and sort of got started this um, exhibit called Practicing What We Teach. Could you talk more about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was such a fun project. So that that practicing what we teach or practicing what we preach was based on the idea that there's that there's that saying that those who can do and those uh, who can't teach yeah. and it just lit my head on fire and I was surrounded with a lot of voices were, that were saying that at the time so I was uh. just thinking how can we combat this because it's so unfair because I knew that the people that I was teaching with were fabulous artists yeah. you know they some of them were some of them had pieces hanging in museums. So I just felt like I needed to really boost what we were doing. So working with the same group that sponsored the residency, it's a group in Pittsburgh called the Arts Education Collaborative. And they're a wonderful group that goes in and helps write curriculum and supports teachers and projects. And they're great. So I thank them for giving me two opportunities to work with them. They supported me in in doing this by giving me a database to reach out to teachers to participate. I was able to get the gallery space to do the show through it was a, it was the local Penn State extension yeah, uh, Penn State yeah. New Kensington Gallery and I reached out to teachers and I found that some of some of them were actively making and some teachers weren't making and I thought why aren't mm-hmm. they making <laughs> so it be, it became the teachers who weren't making I would say well we're doing it next year yeah so you have a year to make one whatever it is you have you know if you're a painter this gives you a year and and so some of them right. did. They're like, I will have something for you next year. And they th- yeah. they were so thankful. They're like, oh, this just like, it spurred me to start painting again. And it just, it's so, it's so wonderful to see their yeah. faces light up. It's like working with your students when they get it. Like they remember like, oh yeah, this is why I was teaching art right. because I am an artist. <laughs> you really yeah. are an artist. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I was listening to another creative podcast just this last weekend and somebody brought up that same thing that's those who can do and those who can't teach. But that's not the original quote. The original quote is, it's by Aristotle. It's not those who can't teach. It's those who understand teach. Mm-hmm. So those who can do, those who understand teach. And I thought, yes, because we understand all of the ins and out and the processes to get that whatever that creative thing is inside of our heads we can get it out and we can get it out of other people (laughs) 
we, we, like, we draw them out. And it really, yeah, I feel like for me, teaching really forces me to be much more of a master of all the different materials and media. But then also, yeah, trying to draw out the things that are not so like, it's not just technique based drawing out the creativity and drawing out the like process of how do you make something like where does an idea come from? And like, what do you do with that idea? Yes. And, and, and okay, so is this idea this or is it this like, I find myself becoming a master mm-hmm. questioner. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I feel like I'm teasing out their ideas. So I, I'm asking like this question, this question. Okay, you gave me that answer. Okay, so is it this or is it this? <laughs> and do you want it to be right. this big or this big? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that that opportunity was really nice. And it, it's been going on now. Oh, gosh, we just had it last month. And I was going to count the years, but I didn't. But I'm, I remember starting it in 2004 wow. was probably the first one. And every once in a while, we get some new artists that come in. And it's just really nice to get that. The recognition. Mm -hmm. a little bit, but more so where the community sees you as more than just their kid's art teacher, yeah, which is still a really good thing. But it's like, hey, I'm an artist too. I was always the artist to begin with. Right. You know, and this is the, and this is what I'm trying to bring out in your child as well. You right. Know? Yeah, that's amazing. That's like part of part of what I'm kind of trying to draw out here is is recognizing that we're teaching and we're like sometimes totally absorbed with teaching and really care about it, but we're also artists and can be totally absorbed with that side of it. And then there's so many places where they kind of overlap and intersect those two sides of us. Yeah, they they interact a, mm-hmm. a lot. I think about like that whole idea of we expect our kids to do something in 45 minutes, but yet we feel like 45 minutes isn't enough for us. Like we feel like we right. need months to make something. <laughs> it's like, okay, so what can you get done in 45 minutes? You know, nobody makes an art project and 45 right. minutes, you know, it's, it's just, it's chugging through and also giving yourself that permission is, it really is so difficult to say mm-hmm. no to things that other people want you to do because it's a role you played. Like I, I find that the the young teachers that I'm talking to that still want to, like they're teaching, but they want to make art, but they're also signed up for this group and that group and they have to make this for somebody and they have to do this for somebody. And I have to say to them, you can say no. Right. You don't have to be all of those things. And, you know, I'd like, I'm afraid they're going to start crying because I remember feeling the same way because there's a lot of validation in in playing all Mm -hmm. of those roles. But um, somewhere along the line, somebody told me when you say no, you allow someone else to have that opportunity to grow into that role that is not serving you, but it could serve them. Because if you really want to give your, your own self the opportunity to make art, you, you really do have to give a couple things up because you, you can't do it all. You have to validate your time and it's so hard to validate yeah. your time. Yeah, it is. And to just advocate for yourself. Yes, yes. I can remember when I really decided that I was going to do this, but I needed to kind of make the people around me realize that I was serious about this and they were, you know, let's go do this and let's go do this, that. And I finally just said, I'm working. You know, and, and when they, like, they just stopped, you're what? I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> no, I really am. I have to make 30 pieces in the yeah. next 20 days. <laughs> it's going to take me some time. And, and, and it was so uncomfortable for me. It was very uncomfortable to tell those people mm-hmm. that I couldn't join them. But I got over it. And the better part, like the payoff to that was I had four hours of time that I could make. And they're still my friends. Yeah. They're still my family. You know, and, and now the, instead of them coming in and expecting me to just automatically say yes to things, they question more like, do you have time to do this? You know, do you think you could do this? Because, because I showed them that I valued my time and that it was important to me. Now they're, they're valuing it as well. So it's a matter of shifting other people's perceptions of how they see you because you have to shift the perception of how you see yourself. Yeah. And that, and it's hard. It is hard. And within the, within the school community as well, that, you know, I feel like the art teacher is often the one that's like, oh, you're creative. Like make this poster for this thing. I need it by like 3 p.m. <laughs> today. <laughs> nope. You have to say, sorry, can't yeah. do it. Find somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. I, there was a, a coworker who came in and she wanted me to like paint something for her. And I said, there's this YouTube video that will show you step by step how to do it. Here's some paintbrushes. Yeah. And I just sent her back out of the room. I figured I empowered yes, her. You she know, now knows how to paint or that. she'll figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, she did. She did. Yeah. And you're right. They do. They come, they think that it just will take us five minutes. Right. Like, mm, takes me a little more than five minutes. Yeah. You know? Or that it, I kind of like to write my lesson yeah. plans today. Or <laughs> that it's, even if it takes longer, that it's like something we just love to do. And like, we want to spend our time making these posters because it's such a creative <laughs> thing. <laughs> I'm like, no, I've got some feelings to work on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I found too that just saying no and not giving any kind of reason Mm -hmm. why is enough because they the more you give them an an excuse the more they see it as oh I can talk her out of that (laughs) (laughs) or I can explain just how important it is like just no I'm sorry no I'm sorry I can't not today and if I can give them another resource I'm like you know who can make all those posters for you staples Yeah. You can order them online. They are 10 right. cents a piece. <laughs> or I, I tend to like direct them to the students. I'm like, I bet there are some fifth graders who would love to do that project. Yeah. Yes, fifth graders do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not your high school kids. <laughs> maybe some of them. Yeah, not many. Not many. They're, they're, they are very busy people, yeah, let me that's tell you. True. Oh. <laughs> So a few more questions, more just like kind of get to know you questions. Is there anything you're really curious about right now? I'm really curious about, um, we have a small museum Mm -hmm. in town and it's a collection of jade sculptures and Hummel and porcelain figurines. We have a, it's a gas magnet, gas company, natural gas company magnet. And they traveled all over the world and she collected these immense, and when I say jade carvings, they're like five feet tall. Wow. (laughs) These gigantic things. So this museum is in town and it's just this exquisite little place. And I noticed that they have a room for exhibitions and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to make a body of work that reflects what is in the in their collections, but is a contemporary version mm-hmm. of a traditional thing like dinnerware? Yeah. Ooh. So I'm trying to approach them about having this show in a year. And I've never worked with an organization and a very serious organization like a museum that has funding and things like yeah. that. So I'm curious about that to see, do I want to do this? Because this is a big commitment. Right. 
<laughs> to work. I can't, I can't just cancel the show, yeah. you know, it, that kind of thing. So I'm curious about how this works. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've just started the communication to try to, to meet with them. And Ooh. they said, we do provide exhibition opportunities. And we're curious as to, you know, what, what it is that you would like to do, you know, cause I've never done a body of work that reflects something else, mm-hmm. you know, to be influenced in that kind of way. And I'm not overly familiar with that type of art. Like I, I, I've been into the museum a couple of times, but I've never studied it yeah. to look at, you know, what were the influences from those time periods and things like that. So I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. So to see where that goes. Do you think you would try to study it, like even just reading about that artwork? Or would you kind of go into it a little bit blind, just looking at like the four and yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that because I'm n- not necessarily the greatest researcher. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think to myself, if, if I'm going to create this relationship with them out of respect for the institution, I should do a little bit of research. And and it might be more of a re I think it might be more of the social aspect mm-hmm. of this woman who collected this. Uh, yeah, because it's 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 a little eclectic because the porcelain figurines are English porcelain figurines like small children and ducks, you know, things like that. But then there are these exquisite jade carvings of herons and birds and they're very oriental, you know, kind of like, okay. (sighs) So looking at what she was drawn to and seeing like, what's the overarching theme here as to why she collected these things and and maybe reading some of her papers because she's, she's no longer alive. But, you know, if this museum is there, I'm sure there's an archive, you know, of her travels and things like that to see where this came from. Right. Yeah. So maybe even asking them if they have resources to share with you. Yeah. And I think that I, well, I'm assuming that they do, but that's part of the question is, you know, how well can I get to know this personality? Yeah. Ah, I'm excited to see what happens with that. You'll have to keep me updated. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that, you know, what that does is it shifts how I work because for the past five years, I've worked for very specific sales Mm -hmm. that I do. So like the ebb and flow is you're making work for three months for this sale and you're making work for three months for this sale. Mm -hmm. And instead, one of those shows is going to have to go away and put it on hold so I can focus on doing that. So so that's a new challenge is like, oh, how do I give up that one sale? Because there's a certain amount of clientele that are expecting to come uh, to buy. Yeah. So now I have to manage, you know, how do we how do we do this? Or do I involve them in what happens to the pieces from the museum show? Right. Like, do they become sponsors or patrons? Do I pull, uh. do they become involved in a different way? I don't know. It's all very, very new. But it's, it's one thing that I know about potters is that we like to engage with our clients Mm -hmm. and we're always looking for a different way to interact. So instead of them coming to my house and just, or to my studio and just going through and looking through everything, instead they go to the museum and they have a museum experience and it's very different. So how does that work? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of questions, lots of questions for this. Well, that'll be so exciting to see as it sort of, as some of those those questions get answered. (laughs) and new ones pop up. Yes. (laughs) New challenges. I'm up for the challenge. New opportunities. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All about how you frame it, right? Yes. Yes. Um, Swing it all on a positive. (laughs) Yes. So little question that's really just like funny. Get to know you. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant?
restaurant? Oh, I loved yeah. this question. <laughs> so I have two rules. My two rules are if there are fish tacos on the menu, they must be ordered. <laughs> so I, I, I'm just constantly looking for the best fish taco. Yeah. And my husband and I love to cook. So we can oh, make a mean fish nice. taco with really good like jalapeno mayonnaise Ooh, on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got to come visit Los Angeles. Absolutely. I know. Like Western PA, fish tacos. Yeah. We're a little far Not from the sure. ocean. <laughs> we still make it work. Yeah. We can still make it work. Yeah. And then the other thing I like is a puttanesca sauce. Mm, yeah. So if I'm in an Italian restaurant and they have puttanesca, then I must order that. Yeah. Awesome. Those are my favorites. How about you? What What's your go-to? I mean, I always want sushi's like my favorite thing. Salmon avocado roll, mm-hmm. sort of basic. Yes, <laughs> um, but it's good. <laughs> but yeah, living here in LA, got to go with the fish tacos. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah. Just, and when they're bad, they're bad. Yeah. So you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then is there anybody that you want to give a shout out to or thank for helping you along the way? Oh, there's so many. I, I, was, I was cracking up thinking about this. I'm like, oh, this is my Academy Awards speech. Yes. <laughs> give us your speech. <laughs> give my speeches. So yeah, so absolutely my husband all the way, yeah. because he he's the person who props me up when I need it. And he is my cheerleader. And he's my therapist. <laughs> Well. Yeah. <laughs> and my mostly my, you know, my mom, she was the one who always said that I was the artist and was always, always, always supportive of uh, me. Yeah. She's, she's always said she's so proud of me too. Oh. And I have, I have three groups of girlfriends that they're wonderful. Like I have my work best friend, Joan, who she's the librarian and we share a hallway and we are just crazy in that hallway. <laughs> there is a lot of videotape of us dancing oh, in that hall. I love you it. Know, and you need that person you can dance with in yeah. the hallway. <laughs> if her and I have my group of Potter friends and that is Karen and Jess and Marianne. And I have my my friends that I've been friends with forever. They've seen me through marriages and divorces. And that is Jennifer and Sheila. And they're wonderful. Oh. And without that, like it takes a community to raise a potter yeah. and an art teacher. <laughs> That's my community. Like oh. I have those people. I can't emphasize enough that anybody who wants to make a change in their life and they feel like they just can't do it. You've got to get those people around you that can be your cheerleaders. They're mm-hmm. so important. Yeah, I love that. You've had, it sounds like you've had such a great support team. Oh, they are a team. They're a team. Yeah, I should make some shirts. <laughs> you should. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Or make them like a set of mugs that all go, all match somehow. Yeah, yeah. They'll have my name yeah. on them. Team Christy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, they would just be like, what? <laughs> and then last thing, where can listeners connect with you online? I know you also created some hashtags. I did. I did. So I created some. And then there's another teacher out there that did too. She did a couple. It's what art teachers do on the weekends, what art teachers do in the summer, what art teachers do at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever time of day it is, I put it in there. <laughs> what do art teachers do on snow days, yeah. those kinds uh-huh. of things. So you can find me like hashtagging. I'm not on Twitter. But I I live on Instagram and I try to get at least two to three posts a week. Sometimes like on the weekends, there's usually a flutter of it because I'm constantly in the studio. Yeah. Christy L. Culp on Instagram is where I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm also on Facebook. It's Christy Culp Ceramics. 
Mm-hmm. And basically right now, Instagram is just feeding that Facebook page. Yeah. But you can message me on there. I love talking with other teachers and talking with other potters, you know, just about the things that go on and just the funny things. And you need to pick me up. Yeah. I can help pick you oh. up. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time and sharing all of your wisdom. It's been it's been so great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I am so looking forward to all of the people that you interview and just hearing what other people are doing and how they're approaching this yeah. balance to teaching and making because it it's never an equal balance. Yeah, it is an totally. up and down all the time. Yeah, it's been, I mean, so interesting just hearing how other people handle it, how they juggle things. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear from some people that aren't potters. I want to, yeah. I want to know how they're staying up late at night and painting oh. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it is me. that they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I look forward to all of it. Thank you, Christy. I especially loved what she said about saying no to things that are not serving you and reframing that as opening an opportunity for someone else to step into that role. That requires prioritizing as well, deciding what you really want to say yes to. Is it pulling off an amazing student art show, perfecting lessons, contributing to the school community? or studio time, working on the business side of your art career, or family time, big decisions. Christy shared her weekly schedule with me after our interview, which includes about two hours of studio time every day, and even more on the weekends. Now that is dedication. Not to say those who can't devote that much time are not dedicated. Christy did talk about how this kind of studio work just wasn't possible when her son was young, and how her community really made a difference. She also includes in that schedule time with her husband, dogs, and friends, and time for Pilates and exercise. How do you fit it all in? I would love to hear about it. Send me a voice message or note to teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com or tag me at teachingartistpodcast on Instagram. Christy also sent me a gorgeous mug, which she'll be happy to hear I've been using for coffee every morning. I love it. The painted and carved details are beautiful. I love how the carving adds a little bit of texture. The form of it is also perfect for warming up my hands, which always seem to be freezing. Thank you, Christy. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.